Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege of studying your word together tonight. We do so in the name of Jesus, inviting your spirit to be our teacher and guide, to give us insight, understanding, revelation, knowledge, wisdom, and all things that pertain to godliness imparted to our spirits as we receive your holy written word. May our ears be anointed to hear, our hearts to receive, our minds to be open, to change, that you might change us from glory to glory. That we might rise up, dear Father God, empowered by your word and spirit to go forth and hold forth the word of life to this, our generation that you've called us to. And we believe to see great and mighty things from a great and mighty God as we proclaim Jesus to a lost and needy world. Father, we give you all the praise, honor, and glory for everything tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. I want to talk to us tonight about taming the soul. Taming the soul. You ever see someone try to tame a wild horse? It doesn't happen just instantly. And it takes a lot of effort. But once it gets tamed, it's under control, you can ride it. But you see, it took a lot of work and effort and energy to get it to that place. Well, you and I, we've got a soul that needs to be dealt with. We've got a soul that wants to run wild and do its own thing. Look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. That soul that we have has got to be brought under control. It's got to be tamed. Otherwise, it will control our lives, dictate to our lives, and take us down paths that we shouldn't be on. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, the living sacrifice. Notice, you present your body, a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable or spiritual duty or service. And be not conformed to this world, We're not to conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Notice he's talking about people that are saved. And he says, look, you've got a body to deal with and you've got a soul to deal with. Your flesh has got to be what? Crucified. And your soul has got to be what? Brought under control or tamed. How does that take place? By the renewing of of the mind there is nothing more important than learning the word of God after we're saved and not just say to say that we know what it says but to say I long for it to be a part of my life that it would live big in me your word abiding in me taking control of my life my conduct my character my speech my behavior my attitudes my motives and all that I want your word praise God to be alive in me amen amen well if we don't renew our minds to the word of God do you realize we'll just stay conformed to the world look at the book of Philippians chapter 2 and verses 12 and 13 once saved Every single one of us has got a job to do. And here it is right here. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Notice the latter part of that verse 12. Work out 
your own salvation with fear and trembling. Let's break it apart. Work. The word work. When you think of work, what do you think of? Sitting back in an easy chair, sipping on some iced tea? No. You think of labor. You think of expended energy. Time and effort put into something. Like you're working on your marriage. Like you're working on your golf game. Like you're working on your yard. You're working on your house. You're putting forth time, effort, energy, and labor into achieving something. So that you can improve it. So it becomes better. Work. Notice the next word is out. Work out. Notice it doesn't say work for your salvation. Work out your salvation. God has made deposits in us when he saved us by his grace. We have the life of God, the nature of God, the character of God. We're complete in him who is the fullness of all things. And he's on the inside of us. But who is on the inside wants to come to the outside. So working out our salvation means whatever God put in us, he wants us to work it out. He wants it to become part of who we are. How we act, our character, our motives, our conduct, etc., our speech, as we said. So we're to put forth effort and energy and labor to do what? To bring what's on the inside to the outside. So we could say, like others, we sat at the feet of the Master. And we began to look at His life in the Gospels. And we see who He is and what He's done and how He acts. And we want to pattern our lives after Him. He's our example to follow. And we keep looking at Him and looking at Him and, and studying Him and focusing on Him until we absorb from Him. And then all of a sudden, that begins to pour out of us. In other words, we should get to a place where every single one of us, when squeezed, nothing but love comes out. When squeezed, nothing but God comes out of us. And guess what? Work out your own. Your own. He doesn't want you squeezing your neighbor. He doesn't want you working out your neighbor's salvation. Work out your own salvation. See, it's our salvation. What does that mean? Take responsibility. Take responsibility for the life of God that's in you. Take responsibility for the character of God that's in you. You see, he can't ask us to do something he doesn't equip us to do. And if he didn't shed his love abroad in our hearts, then guess what? We have no love then to develop. But if he placed it within us, it's on the inside, then it's up to us to bring it to what? The outside. And I'll tell you what, there's no better way to do it but then to confess the word of God over your life every single day. You know, you want to be a person who walks in love, then say what the love chapter says. I endure long. I'm patient. I'm kind. I'm never envious. Don't walk around saying I'm impatient. I'm not kind. I'm jealous. Take a hold of the word of God and whatever it says, start saying that's me. I endure long. I am patient. I am kind. I'm never envious. I never boil over jealousy. I'm not boastful. I'm not vainglorious. I don't display myself haughtily. I'm not conceited. I'm not arrogant. I'm not inflated with pride and so on. I believe the best about every person. I believe the best about every person. Can you imagine that? I believe the best. I speak the best. I think the best. Someone says, well, what about people that are evil? I remember, I remember one saying he went to a funeral and this person was a nasty individual. He was a rascal as he lived his life upon the earth. And they said to him, what can you say that's good about that person? And he said he has nice teeth. <laughs> you see, when your mind is renewed and you think along these lines, then you respond that way. So God wants us to work our own, our own salvation. How? With fear and trembling. 
Now when we talk about fear, he's not talking about being afraid of God. He's talking about reverencing God. Out of reverence for God. Standing in holy awe. To think that God thought so much of you that he gave his son and then after saving you, poured his spirit in you, made a deposit of who he is. We have his character. We have uh, been made partakers of his divine nature. He's on the inside of us. As he said, I will dwell in you. I'll walk in you. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. So he's on the inside of us. To think he took up residency in us and we are his mobile whole unit here upon this earth. He's living in us Why? Because he wants to get out of us. He wants to use our bodies like he used Jesus's. Think about that. He was God in the flesh and he wants to to live through us. He doesn't want us to manifest who we are. He wants us to manifest who he is. And we got to change our way of thinking to do that. We got to renew our minds. Now, in the book of Psalms, Psalm 131 verse 2, this is from the New Living Translation. Here we have a statement made that's very powerful. Instead, I have calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child who no longer cries for its mother's milk. Yes, like a weaned child is my soul within me. What's the psalmist saying? It's not easy to do. Like any child that's nursing is full of contentment, satisfaction, peace, comfort, joy, all the expressions of being taken care of by his or her mother. The soul, you see, is like this. It's got its own comfort zone. When we feel angry, we feel justified in being angry. When you feel jealous, we feel justified in being jealous. The soul does anyhow. It has its own way of thinking. Our emotions left uncontrolled, I'll tell you what, will destroy us. That's why they need tamed. But to tame them is like a nursing child being weaned from its mother. What does that child normally do? Cries out. Don't like this. This is my comfort zone. I feel safe here. But in due season, in due time, what happens? It grows, it matures, it develops. When you get saved and I get saved and we keep our flesh under and we start telling our emotions, I'm not going to do what you're telling me to do. I'm not going to act that way. No, I feel like it. My emotions are there. They want to be in control. They want to control my speech, my behavior, my attitude, my motives and all that. But you know what? I can't let that happen. And so you start talking to your soul and saying, calm down. I am not a soul. I'm not an emotion. I'm a spirit. You do something with your body. You do something with your soul. The soul, mind, will, emotions, and intellect. You do something with those feelings. They're genuine and they're there and they're a part of your makeup and mind. But we've got to be weaned from them. You see why it's effort, it's work, it's energy, it's labor. Do you ever see people that get spastic when they drive a car? Road rage? There's something about it. I don't know what it is. There is something about it where people get crazed over something. You pulled out in front of me. As if you never did it. Right? But they go berserk. They go crazy. 
I was just driving up to Grove City College just the other day to see my daughter. And on the way up there, I, this, this vehicle in front of me that I had was a, quite a distance behind pulled over to the right side. They were going to turn. But before they made their turn and I just went on by, they gave me a gesture. Which I will not get into. But I thought, what? What's the problem here? Sometimes you you kind of wonder, I'd like to know exactly what that person's thinking. You know, first of all, what are you so upset about? What are you so crazed about? I told you about the guy at the, mo- at the um, dry cleaners. He went berserk and chewed me out because he thought I cut him off. Didn't even know that I did that if I did do that. But let's just say uh, unawaringly, I, I pulled in a parking space. I didn't even see his car. But I walk inside the, the uh, dry cleaners and he is about seven feet, eight inches tall. A little exaggeration there, but... And I stand, I'm, I'm just standing there minding my own business and he just stands right next to me, looking down at me. And starts, he proceeds just to chew me out upside down, up one side, down the other, and just reaming me out and raking me over the coals. And I'm thinking, what is going on here? And then he said, you cut in front of me. There weren't many cars in the parking lot. Okay. All I can think of, Jesus loves you, I said. That works with big people. And I said, you know, he has a great plan for your life. I said, God loves you, actually. I said, do you know God loves you? He has a great plan for your life. He stood there stunned. The clerk said, it was like you hit him with a left hook. She actually said, I was, I'm so proud of the way you handled that situation because he was going ballistic on you and you just said, God loves you. He never said another word. Not one more word came out of his mouth. He was having a bad day, I guess. But anyhow, being weaned from our emotions takes effort on our part. See, we all encounter difficult situations and problems in life. Have you noticed that, even as a Christian? Financial problems, physical problems, social problems, issues at work, issues with children that are growing up, and in some cases, maybe not doing the things that you would like for them to do. And the list goes on. There are many, many, many different situations that we encounter in this life. And, of course, the enemy highlights them. Well, if they're allowed to continue unchecked, they could lead to all kinds of emotional issues and concerns that people have. We can become anxious. We can become fearful. We can enter into a state of discouragement and dismay. In some cases, oppression and depression. And the list goes on and on. A lot of emotional concerns take place. If those emotional situations are not controlled, what happens? Then people look for different outlets. They don't know where to turn and what to do and where to go. Number one, sometimes they turn to drug abuse. And sometimes they turn to alcohol abuse. You know, and become addicts. Thinking that maybe they can just escape reality. You know, by drinking or doing drugs. And how sad it is to see that, oh my goodness, it's just, my heart just breaks. You heard about the, the children up in McKeesport. 
And after two days, the little boy went to school and said, my, I can't wake my parents up. They're both blue. And seemingly, apparently, for two days they were dead. The children saw them there for two days. One was a nine-month-old infant for two days. And the parents were dead because they overdosed. The seven-year-old going to school saying, I can't wake them up. I believe that's how it was, something like that. Why? Not coping with reality. But you know what? I believe that God has made a way for us to rise up above our emotional feelings. Whether it's tension, whether it's jealousy, whether it's anger, whatever it might be, whether it's fear, anxiety, worry, frustration, irritability, all those things. I believe God wants to wean us from them. But it takes effort on our part. We have to do our part. They can turn to excessive self-pity where they have a victim's mentality. Sometimes they withdraw from society, withdraw from other people, or no matter what. All they see is that they're the victim. You know, and life is just, I guess, mad at them. But that's all that they can see. And the emotions side with that. And they feel that way. Life is unfair. And the list goes on and on. In some cases, people become emotional to such a degree that they have a breakdown. I have an uncle that um, couldn't handle a situation. He's gone now. I had the privilege of leading him to the Lord before he departed. And he spent most of his life in a mental institution. He was heartbroken over a broken relationship. And as a result, he couldn't deal with it. He couldn't cope with it. And I believe personally, when something is that extreme, there are spirits behind it. We're in spiritual warfare. And there are spirits behind it. When the enemy sees a broken heart... And someone that's vulnerable. I guarantee you he will seize the opportunity and the moment. To bring in some of his emissaries. And, and have them target that person's life. As a matter of fact my grandmother. It was her son said. That I started re receiving letters from him. He was off. Very intelligent man. He was off teaching in Kelly's Island. He was very intelligent. History teacher. Spanish teacher. History major. I mean he was just amazing. And I started getting letters from him. And I can see as they came, how all of a sudden they didn't make any sense. Little by little, they made no sense. You can see he was heartbroken and crushed. And as a result not, of not knowing how to deal with these emotional feelings. So once again, some people turn to drugs or alcohol. Some people turn um, you know, within themselves and just withdraw from people. Viewing themselves as a, a victim. And some people have emotional breakdowns. And some people, like my uncle, you know, spend the rest of their lives. As a matter of fact, the time I led him to the Lord, was, it was amazing. Don't give up on people and pray. Because if I had to look at that situation and see him the way he really was, you would think, there's no way this man can understand me. I mean, he would sit there in my parents' house, and he would sit there in his little chair, and he would have a conversation that was a three-way conversation. He would be the judge, the jury, then the defendant. And he would just, each one, first of all, talked about this, then shifted over, became that person, talked about like schizophrenic, and talked about all these different things. And if you walked by and said, hey, Uncle Bruno, how you doing today? I'm fine. And go right on back to talking. 
Hey, who was president back when uh, Woodrow Wilson, I mean, who was the vice president when Woodrow Wilson was president? He'd tell you exactly who he was. And they'd go right on back. For a moment, he'd be in the real world. And then the next moment, he's gone somewhere else, you know, playing out all the things that he's seeing. And one day I just was there, and that basement was a holiday. He would come home on holidays. He spent time at Woodside Receiving Hospital up in Youngstown and then Maslin, up in, up in Maslin, Ohio, the receiving home there. And uh, I said, Uncle Bruno, I need to talk to you about Jesus and about your salvation. Okay. And I gave him, he understood, I gave him the message of the gospel. And when I got done, I said, now, you need to make a decision as to what you're going to do. You're going to accept Jesus as your Savior and Lord so you can make heaven or you can reject him. It's up to you. He said, um, give me some time. I'll let you know. I said, okay. And I left. And that same evening, came back a few hours later. And I said to him, Uncle Bruno, I, you remember we talked about earlier? He said, yeah, I remember. I said, um, what do you want to do? He said, I'm ready to accept Jesus. He accepted Jesus as his Savior. Thank God for that. Then he went right back off into his own world. Another world. The spirit of man is the real man. This is the mental part of man. The emotional part of man. And I believe with all my heart that he's in heaven. Because he said yes. He made that decision. And even though mentally and emotionally. You know it wasn't good for him. But praise God spiritually. I believe that Jesus saved him by his grace. And then also. And this is sad too. People turn to a life of crime. They turn to a life of crime. For whatever reason, they can't cope with what's going on in life. In some situations, they feel as though that I guess they're going to find some kind of satisfaction in hurting other people, robbing stores, or doing whatever they do. And so they turn to a life of crime. Why? Because they can't handle their emotional feelings. And then, of course, it gets to a place where some, some expose themselves to an, a spirit that's a suicidal spirit. And you can see it happening in people's lives. In some cases, you've heard it being said that, well, this one tried suicide or that one tried suicide. You know, and you don't know how to take that. And then eventually, the person does take their life. And why? Because they couldn't deal with their emotional feelings. They had no idea as to how to handle them. You realize you don't learn these things when you're, when you're growing up in high school. You don't learn how to deal with the forces that are coming against you in life. We deal with symptoms for the most part in the natural world that we live in. And we never get to the root cause of things. But we are engaged in a spiritual warfare and the enemy is vying for our mind. He wants our soul. He wants to see to it that he controls this right here. Why? Because you've got the spirit on the inside, the flesh on the outside. And there is a battle for the soul, the mind. Because whoever gets it wins. And so that's why Paul said, you've got to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. He said, you've got to renew your mind to the word of God. It's the only thing that divides between spirit and soul. And you've got to get yourself in tune with what God said so that you can rise up and be armed to stand against all the thoughts that are coming against your mind. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But look at Genesis chapter 4. Here we have the classic case of someone not doing anything about controlling his emotions and taming his soul. The soul needs tamed. Would you agree with me that yours does? Mm -hmm. Right? I know mine does. 
why do you think David said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name, bless the Lord, O my soul, and don't forget one of his benefits. He's talking to his soul, talking to himself. Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. In the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the, first, uh, of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord, and Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock, and the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, angry, upset, and his countenance fell. Notice his countenance fell. He became oppressed or depressed. And the Lord said to Cain, Why art thou wroth? Why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, Sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother, came to pass when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. So here we see a situation where someone was not really willing to do something about his emotional feelings, and it led to what? Murder. It led to taking the life of his own brother. All because he was jealous. All because he felt rejected. And even though God never rejected him, he only rejected the offering. If he rejected the offering, he's not rejecting him. Just the offering. And he tells him, if you'll do the right thing, you're going to prosper too. It's going to be well with you. It's up to you to do the right thing. He gave him godly counsel. He's God. He gave him counsel. He told him exactly what to do so he would be lifted up. But what? Look at verse 7 again. Cain was controlled by his emotions and not by godly counsel. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? That word accepted there, it's an expression that means, won't you be lifted up? If you do the right thing, you'll be lifted up. So in other words, when we're cast down, when our countenance is fallen, if we do the right thing, we'll be lifted up. Well, if you don't do well, then sin lies at the door. It's going to control you. It'll control your thinking. It'll control your behavior, your attitude, your actions. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And so we know that he chose to listen to his own emotional feelings and chose not to listen to the counsel of God. And he played this thing out in his mind over and over again. How many know that God is the one that wants to be the glory and the lifter of our head? God wants to be the one. He wants His voice to be the loudest. There are many voices that are in the world. They come from every direction round about us. They come from good, well-meaning people. They come from demon spirits sent by the devil himself. They come from professionals. They come from this, this area, that area, everywhere around us. We have all these thoughts, all these words, all these voices coming to speak into our minds. But God is saying, I want to be the loudest voice in your head. I want to be the loudest voice that you listen to. Because I'm looking out for your best interest. Look at the book of Psalms. And chapter uh, 3. Beginning at verse 1. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Is that like everyday life? For you? In the workplace. Where you're going. What you're doing. Here, there, and everywhere. Everybody's rising up against you. Okay. Many there be would say of my soul... Say, what do they say of your soul? There is no help for him in God. Stop and think about it, Selah. But thou, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory, and the lifter up of mine head. 
Hallelujah. So in other words, when all these voices are speaking so loudly and telling my soul, there is no help in God. You've got to be the way you are. You can't change what you are. This is how you are. This is the way it's going to be with you. And he wants you to quiet, become quiet and still. Stop thinking that, allowing that voice to dominate and tame those emotions and let them know no my God is a shield for me he's my glory and the lifter of my head and he will shield me from all that if I'll just let him look at Psalm 42 notice what he did this is how he did it he starts talking to his soul why art thou cast down O my soul and why art thou disquieted in me why? Why? He asks. What a good question. Did you ever get up in the morning, maybe all of a sudden you had this like oppression or something like that and you don't know why? Ask yourself why. Why do you feel that way? What's going on with you? Why, he says, hope thou in God. Then he starts speaking to his soul and he says, hope in God. For I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance whoa you see when Cain's countenance fell he could have drawn on God's countenance and God would have been to him the glory and the lifter of his head oh my God my soul is cast down within me therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and of the Hermonites from the hill of Mizar and then go on down to the next verse verse 11 I believe why art thou cast down on my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the, I love this, he's the health of my countenance and my God. Mmm. Did you ever see a person that's just bright and has a bright countenance? And then you see someone that's really sad down and depressed? You can see a marked difference between the two, right? But he's saying here, when I make God the health of my countenance. He becomes the glory and the lifter of my head. And even though my feelings are telling me I should be down depressed because of what's going on around me, I reject that. I renounce that. My God is bigger than whatever I'm facing. And you know, there's nothing wrong. Here's a very good plan that you can use, and I can use, we all can use to rise up above this. There's nothing wrong with admitting, admitting how you feel. I feel this way. But after you admit it, analyze it. I call it the five A's. Analyze it. What did he just say there? Why am I this way? What did God say to, to, to Cain? Why is your countenance fallen? What's the reason behind it? Has someone wronged you? You feel bitter, unforgiving, etc., etc. You feel jealous, envious over something? Why do you feel the way you feel? Admit it. That's how I feel, Lord. But analyze it. Analyze it. Find out why. Why do I feel this way? Arm, number three, yourself with the word of God. Arm yourself. Arm yourself. What does the word say about this? And then actively resist. Actively resist. All the thoughts. All the images. All that's coming against your mind. Resist the work of the enemy, resist the negativity, resist it. And then you're ready for the last one? Associate. Associate with people of like 
precious faith. You know why? As iron sharpens iron, so does a man sharpen the countenance of his friend. Iron sharpens iron. And when you hear your friend talk to you like, I'm in agreement with you that God that you serve is the glory and the lifter of your head. He's greater in you than he that is in this world. He has empowered you to rise up above situations you encounter in this life, even though there's going to be tribulations, but the greater one will put you over and make you a success. And by your faith, you're an overcomer. So don't cave in under the pressure. Don't allow this emotion or that emotion to pull you down like Cain did and have you go down the wrong road. You realize that Cain was not helped by killing his brother? He was hurt further by killing his brother. He became a vagabond, marked man for the rest of his life as a result of what he had done. Now imagine this. Your counsel coming from the creator of all mankind, the creator of the universe, God himself counseled Cain, and he still went against the counsel. Think about that. That shows us how we have a responsibility. It's up to us to make a decision. We can let our emotions control us. When that road rage rises up on the inside of you, calm yourself down. And remember, you too have done the same thing. Probably not much after they did it to you. I want you to see this in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 10. We are engaged in spiritual warfare. And the battle is for the mind. Here we have a revelation given to us by the Apostle Paul that will help us wean ourselves from our emotions. Nip things in the bud. And give no place, no territory to the enemy to operate in our lives. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God that are pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity some of your thoughts. Every thought. To the obedience of Christ. Everybody say every thought. That sounds almost impossible, doesn't it? But think about this. When those, these thoughts that contradict the word of God enter into our thinking, our minds, we have a decision to make. Are we going to embrace them? Or are we going to stand against them? See, we don't realize what authority and what power God has given us. We don't realize as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We don't realize if we allow something to stay up here long enough, and it becomes an image or an imagination. It will eventually become a stronghold. It will dictate to the activity of our lives. That's why when you hear some people saying. I got addicted to that at a young age. I was exposed to this at a young age. And you know what? It became an addiction in my life. As I continued yielding to it. And yielding to it. Now it's a stronghold. If we allow jealousy to take over our lives. You'll be jealous and controlled by jealousy. If we allow anger to dictate to our lives, it'll be more than road rage. You could be like a cane and eventually kill someone. And that's how these murders take place. And the list goes on. These are tools of the enemy to use really these emotions that are placed in us by God for good, but he perverts them to take them to extremes and limits beyond what we should allow. So it's up to us to make a decision that we're going to tame our soul. 
You ready for some hard work? Effort, energy, time invested in something that is well worthwhile? Tame the soul. Um, remember, look at this in, in Matthew chapter 6. Do you remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness? And how after 40 days, would you think he was hungry? Uh, 40 days of no food, no water, 40 days. You think he was hungry and thirsty? He sure was, wasn't he? It was a supernatural fast, but still he was hungry. It says, and he was hungered after the 40 days. And the devil comes along and says, won't you turn those stones into bread? You're hungry. And what does Jesus say? It is written. You talk about some powerful words that absolutely turn back every thought, every imagination, anything the enemy can use to get him to do what he wanted him to do and not do what God wanted him to do. You realize the moment that thought comes, you'll never forgive her. It is written. I've been forgiven. The $25 million debt, I'm not going to hold her accountable for a $25 debt. It is written. If I don't forgive, my father won't forgive me. Why don't you do this to that person? No, it is written. Love your enemy. Do good to those that hate you. Pray for those that despitefully use and abuse you. And speak well of those that speak evil of you. That you may be mature like your father in heaven is mature. Jesus made this statement. When it comes to, for example, what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, what we're going to wear, and the necessities of life, Jesus said people get into worry and anxiety about these things. But he says, no, that's not what I want you to do. What I want you to do is trust in the Lord your God. But we're being bombarded with all these thoughts coming against our minds. And look at what he says. Therefore, take no thought, casting down every thought and imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Therefore, take no thought. How do I take a thought? What's the next word? How do we take a thought? Saying, saying, saying. We put ourselves in the positions that we're in, oftentimes, by taking the thought by saying it. I just can't pay my bills. I can't find a job around here. And you start saying, I just can't overcome this thing. There's no possible way I can do it. But you see, what God wants us to do is don't take that thought saying. Don't say that. It may be a thought, but don't say it. You can't stop a bird from flying over your head. That's a thought. But you can stop a bird from building a nest in your hair. Shoot away. So when the thought comes and says, your child's not going to make it. Stop right there and just say, it is written. He makes hard the bars of my gates and protects my family from within. You're not strong enough to handle that. I can do all things through Christ who is the strength of my life. You're going to make a fool of yourself. I believe the hand of God is upon me and I will do what God wants me to do and I will not become a fool. It is written. We need to declare what God's word says. Before the thought becomes an image or an imagination and then turns into a stronghold where we're controlled by that thing. And it could be different emotions. As a matter of fact, look in the Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Now the serpent was more, was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, yea, hath God said. You know that's the first question of the Bible? Hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? 
And guess what she did? She did not say, it is written. Guess what she did? She looked now at the tree. She focused on the tree. She said within herself, it looks good. She played right into it. This, the enemy, the devil, has not changed his M.O. one iota. That's exactly how he controls people's lives. Get into their thought life, you can control their lives. Make them think what you want them to think. You can control their behavior, their attitude, their actions. So what does she do? She looks at it, she sees it, she embraces it. She paints this picture in her mind. She probably sees herself taking it and eating it and becoming this wonder woman, I guess. I don't know. Had God said? She should have said, yeah, God said it is written. Get behind me. Get out of my garden. I refuse to entertain your thoughts. You nip it in the bud before it produces a fruit. She didn't do it. As a result, we know the end of the story. The thought cast doubt on what God said and controlled her actions. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Her feelings and emotions allowed God to be shut out and opened up the door to all the evil work of the enemy. Be ye angry. Have you ever been angry? Nothing wrong with that. We all can get angry. Anger is a, an emotion, really, that's good for us. Are you not angry with what's going on in the world today? Does it not anger your heart when you see young people being killed at the hands of, of these crazed people that feel as though that the only way that they can... I guess make a, a higher resurrection is by killing those that won't follow them in their ways. Does that anger you? When you see people being beheaded because they won't deny Christ? Or being burned at a stake? Does it not anger you when you see all the injustices that are being done in the world today? Sure it does. Be angry, but don't sin. It's okay to be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Why? You'll give place to the devil. A good rule to live by is, when I go to bed at night, I'm making it right with everyone. I am not giving place to the devil. I'm not going to allow him any territory. Place, the word there for place, give no place, is in the Greek is topos, and it means territory, ground, an entry point to the devil by what? Entertaining those thoughts. Those thoughts become imaginations. Those imaginations become strongholds. When they become a stronghold, they dictate to your life. You get so angry that like Cain, you see something played out in your mind. He actually looked probably at his brother and thought, you're the cause of my rejection. You're the cause of my feelings and emotions. You're the one that's caused me to have my countenance fall. It's because of you. It's because of you. It's because of you. Isn't that pretty sad? When God said to him, it's not because of Abel, not because of Abel, it's because you brought the wrong sacrifice. Take responsibility for yourself, Cain. And you know what? Control your emotions. Tame your soul. Yes, they're there and they're real and they're genuine. But you know what? Rise up above it. God said, if I do the right thing. Can you imagine how close he was to just doing the right thing and having a blessed life? 
If you don't know the story, he lived a cursed life. He was a vagabond for the rest of his life. And he was marked for all to see. He was under a curse. So can you imagine living under a curse as a result of disobedience like he did because he didn't take control of his emotions and he allowed his emotions to control him. He didn't tame his soul. It will distort our vision. We won't see things clearly and correctly. And he's blaming someone else for what he did wrong. So in conclusion, every one of us needs to learn how to tame our soul. And every one of us needs to practice and put forth the effort so that our soul does not control our lives. It's up to us to make a decision that, okay, I may feel angry right now, but you know what? I'm going to walk away from this situation for just a moment. I'm going to admit I feel angry. I'm going to analyze it. Why am I angry? I'm going to arm myself with the word of God. I'm going to actively resist any thought to continue anger to run its course. I'm going to associate with somebody of like precious faith that will surround me and sharpen me and help me join together with me to rise up above my feelings of anger. And the more we do it, the less anger will take us down a path that it wants us to. Like, and like I said, even when you go to bed at night, if you're angry towards someone, deal with it. Don't let anger control you because it'll get placed to the devil and then before you know it it's destructive on every front let's all stand together before the lord hi pastor bill here i want to thank you for joining us today on behalf of my wife krista and krista assembly church i want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family whether you have young children or kids in elementary school if you're a teenager or a young adult we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of His love for you. And with that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It is our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God toward Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sound, and through a life of worship, bring in a harvest of people. With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others. And in all that we do, we want to demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus to the world through a ministry of excellence to God first and then also to you. So whatever the situation, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I want you to know that we love you and God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan begins by making Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. And if you've never made that decision yet, I'd like to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. And if you will, Jesus will become your Savior and your Lord. Just repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and now accept you and receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, I have called on the name of Jesus. I'm now your child in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.